0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio.
2: Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley.
3: Welcome to Episode 148 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is a psychiatric hospital cemetery graves and memories. Psychiatric hospitals are where people with mental illnesses were and still are treated. Before the mid-1800s, the mentally ill were locked away in prisons or basements of public buildings. After the mid-1800s, the psychiatric hospitals were increasingly built with names like Lunatic Hospital or Lunatic Asylum and often identified by their city or region. In these psychiatric hospitals, the treatment of patients reflected society's attitudes to mental illnesses, which at times led to stigmatisation, harsh care and even abuse. Patients in a psychiatric hospital often lived there their complete lives from childhood to death. And when they died, they could be buried in cemeteries associated with the hospital. In the cemeteries, the graves evoke memories. These memories are especially important when the lessons are not yet fully learned from the history of the ways mental illnesses were cared for in the hospitals and the history of society's attitudes to mental illnesses. In 2012, the province of Ontario, Canada, faced three certified class-action lawsuits relating to government-controlled psychiatric hospitals closed in 2009. The allegations included failure to properly care for and protect people housed in the hospitals. And also in 2012, across Canada... Education started to train family physicians and specialists, medical specialists, in recognizing stigma related to mental illness and in recognizing attitudes and behavior that may lead to stigma. Talking about a psychiatric hospital cemetery, graves and memories, our guest today is Megan O'Toole. Megan is a veteran Canadian journalist, frequently sought after for interviews on her work. With thousands of articles published by major media outlets from coast to coast, she's held key positions in both of Canada's national newspapers, editing the front page of the Globe and Mail before joining the National Post's elite reporting team. Her stories are regularly syndicated by the Post Media chain of newspapers, She's covered everything from legislative politics to crime to breaking news to business and the arts. She's generated scores of unique features and investigative projects over the years and she's a trained photographer and a published photojournalist. So, Megan, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you very much for having me, Gordon.
3: Great. Now, Megan first question. Please, would you just outline for us the story of the psychiatric hospital cemetery you looked at?
4: Certainly. So this is called the Lakeshore Psychiatric Hospital Cemetery, and it's located adjacent to the Lakeshore Psychiatric Hospital, which is a facility uh, in Etobicoke that existed for a number of years and is no longer uh, in use, obviously. Um, Now, the cemetery itself, the first patient there was buried in 1890. So it's certainly has a history dating back uh, quite a number of years. The last patient was buried there in 1974, um, and uh, I believe it was officially closed several years after that point. And what seems to have happened with this cemetery after the last patient was buried there is that it fell into disuse. Um, At some point in time, the province forgot about it. They they stopped maintaining the cemetery. It became overgrown and, and sort of this forgotten patch of land over in Etobicoke. And uh, it remained that way for quite some time uh, until residents noticed this and began to work to um, push the province to memorialize the, the, the cemetery, which is, which was the topic of my story, is how they they kind of made those efforts to to ensure that these people were not forgotten because it had actually become quite overgrown. Uh, it didn't even look like a cemetery anymore uh, until these people started to you know take some actions.
3: What was it about the story, the overgrown psychiatric hospital cemetery story, that got you interested in writing the article?
4: Well, it's interesting. I actually came across this story by chance. Uh, It's certainly not... The type of beat that I cover typically, um, as you know, I, I report a lot of politics and a lot of courthouse justice stories. And this isn't, this didn't really fall into my typical beat. But what happened was uh, a person that I kept in contact with in Mississauga for another story um, happened to know members of the group who were working to push the province to memorialize this place. And so this source of mine who, uh, you know, I deal with her for other political stories, just happened to mention, you know, that this was going on and that these people were visiting the cemetery, um, you know, twice a year and that they were very dedicated and they they wanted to see it memorialized. And I think what interested interested me about the story was just that, that people would put this much dedication into something. I mean, it's a small piece of land and... It, but that they would be dedicated enough to be going twice a year, to be going regularly. Um, what was it about this place, I wondered, that made these people so dedicated and so intent on seeing it memorialized? And just the idea, you know, of a cemetery, I think it, it, it brings a lot of memories for a lot of people. And it's sort of a haunting place in a lot of ways. And. So when I first heard about it, it occurred to me that there were probably a lot of stories um, attached to the cemetery and attached to the people who were, who were so intent on going there and intent on seeing it memorialized. So I just thought that this would be a very interesting story to tell, even though it was outside of my usual uh, you know, purview.
3: Right. What's the status of the cemetery right now?
4: Well, right now, certainly the cemetery is very different than it was back when, you know, the overgrown cemetery that I described. Um, What's happened recently with the cemetery is that the province after, you know, quite a bit of pressure was put on the province uh, from from this group of residents. And ultimately, they did decide to step in and act. Now, for for a number of years, they had been maintaining the the ground. So they had been at least mowing the lawn and, you know, doing a bit of landscaping work. But what was missing was a memorial for the the individuals buried there. And you still couldn't entirely tell it was a cemetery, because if you you were to go out there and look at it, you'll, you'll see that it's all flat stones. So if you're driving by, you wouldn't. It wouldn't really look like anything. It would look sort of like a patch of grass. And, you know, they had, um, <clears throat> just a pretty plain, uh, wire fence around it. So what, what ended up happening this year was the province stepped in. They, they put up a new fence line, uh, sort of a steel black fence and a memorial plaque. So if you drive by it now, you certainly know that it's a cemetery. Uh, it's recognizable as such. And, uh, so, this group who's been taking care of the cemetery they're still going uh, regularly to visit it but it's actually recognizable as a cemetery now and that's that's status now so it's it's a lot of progress has been made
3: you mentioned the flat stones the gravestones are they going are they being kept as flat stones or are there any other ways of marking the graves do they use any other types of um, markings or recognition of the graves
4: yeah, uh, in terms of the actual stones themselves uh, it's, it appears that for now that they are remaining as flat stones and they're they are very plain stones it just you know it 'll have somebody 's name and the years, but there isn 't much more to them. I took a walk through the through the cemetery recently and was just looking at them it 's very they 're very plain there 's not a lot of you know fancy decorations or anything they 're all the same standardized, but what this group of people have done is actually they've been bringing flowers and they've been putting placing the flowers beside each of the markers to make them stand out a little more so when you look at it it's it's actually a more colorful place because they've they've put in this effort to ensure that flowers are at least there so that something is there to to memorialize these people and to kind of make them stand out a little more
3: what's written on the stones
4: well for most of them that i've looked at it just has the name of the individual and their year of birth and year of death. And so there's not you don't see personalized messages or anything like that. It's it was quite interesting because most graveyards when you go it's a lot of unique stones, you see a lot of different designs and you can tell it, that you know each family has put their own unique, um, you know, design or twist onto it, what they wanted to bring out about that person. But what's so interesting about this one, and, and kind of sad in a way, is, is just that they're all so plain. And you, you can tell that, obviously, these families didn't have that that input. These were just made up to, you know, tell you who is lying here, but nothing else. So it's just very standardized. And it kind of, I think it embodies the whole, you know, what these people went through in life was that they were kind of treated in the same kind of a way and then when they died they were just kind of this nameplate and they were it was all standardized and you know, only now are their relatives actually coming and finding them and I think some of them might end up replacing the headstones but for now it's just just those plain little flat stones.
3: And is there any mention on the headstones of where they did that died. that is to say the name of the psychiatric hospital?
4: Uh, I didn't see that on the stones, but it's, um, all of the people who are buried here would have passed away while they were staying at this hospital. Um, so everyone who's buried in there, and now that they've actually put up a plaque on this new fence line, and that indicates that all of the people buried there um, they all died in, in the cemetery. And I believe it's about 1,500 people who are buried there. So that's that's between 1890 and 74. So that's over close to a century of time.
3: Is there any indication of a ceremony associated with the death? Any mention of the religion of the people? Any of those sorts of details of yeah, who they well, what,
4: were? Yeah, it's kind of interesting, actually. You mentioned religion and... The way that this cemetery is set up is actually there's a little bit of a path that kind of cuts the cemetery into two halves. And on the east side are actually where they've buried the Protestant patients. And on, on the west side, it was reserved for Catholics. So it might seem strange to us today, but they, they had that dividing line, Protestants on one side and Catholics on the other side. And when I was walking around, it looked like a fairly even number on each side, although some of them still, of course, remain unmarked. Not all, of the stone, not all of the graves have these flat stones yet. Some of them are still just completely unmarked. You wouldn't know where it was unless you have a map of the cemetery, which, which is available if, if, you know, anyone else today is looking for their relative. They can find this map, and they can use that to locate them. But uh, if you didn't have that, you'd, you know, you wouldn't probably know where, where a lot of these graves are.
3: Megan, there's just one quick quick point to make to you in the form of a question. As you know, the military uh, cemeteries all over Europe from World War II and, and other wars are very much, though they're headstones, are very plain in the sense that they're all the same. They just have basic information on them and, and maybe a badge of some kind. But... In that sense they're all very respectful because in death everyone is 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 seen as being equal now I know that's a little bit emotional but do you have any sympathy just quickly with that particular point of view of the honor in the simplicity
4: yeah oh I can absolutely and certainly see that it is it's it's very calming in a way almost and I certainly can can sympathize with that point of view I think um, a lot of people might see it that way absolutely
3: yeah okay now we have to take a break as i'm always saying this is where we have to pay our rent so let's do that now this is dr gordon and my guest is megan o'toole you're listening to family caregivers unite on the voice america variety channel please stay with us we will be back
5: Now, you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, Blackberry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, Blackberry App World, or Android Market. Listening to women of all races talk
2: about how they have thought of dating outside of their races shows there's a current trend in interracial relationships that should be explored. Tune in to Interracial Relationships. Where do you stand? What's on your mind? Your host, Flora Pickett-Coley, will speak to experts and individuals who are involved in interracial relationships. Our goal is to have open discussions on the issues. Listen every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
1: By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness.
5: Are you struggling to find hope in the middle of adversity? How confident are you in dealing with your life challenges? Do you realize you have the ability to overcome your obstacles? You'll want to tune in to Louise Cohen's Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities, Louise will speak to inspiring guests who have helped others or managed to overcome the roadblocks that stood in the way of their life success. Louise Cohen's Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities broadcasts live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
2: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
3: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Megan O'Toole. Our topic is a psychiatric hospital cemetery, graves and memories. Now let's, Megan, talk about the people who are interested in the cemetery and its history. So, first question, uh, who's been involved in caring for the cemetery and what is the story of the caring?
4: Yes, well, I think it uh, certainly starts with a man named Ed Januszewski, and he actually is a former vocational instructor uh, from the Lakeshore Psychiatric Hospital. Um, Now, he has been very involved in efforts to restore this place he actually ended up working at the queen street mental health center which is uh you know a lot of people are in toronto are quite familiar with that place it's since been rebranded as the center for addiction and mental health and what ended up happening is that uh after ed ceased working at lakeshore he ended up working at the queen street mental health center and he discovered some old burial records there um and it was I think it was about two thousand and four when this happened, and he became very interested because he he didn't know that this cemetery, even though he had worked at Lakeshore Psychiatric, he didn't even know that the cemetery existed because when he started working there, they had already stopped using the graveyard so what happened is Ed found these records and uh, he became very interested in it he was he was kind of surprised that this place existed, and he decided you know let's let's find out a little more about it so what he ended up doing is he, the first time he went out there, uh, I spoke with Ed and he was telling me about the first time he visited the place and the grasses were just, they were up to his waist. It was completely overgrown, as I mentioned earlier. Um, there was a tree, he said, that had fallen onto some of the unmarked graves. And the, the place was just, you know, you couldn't recognize it. It just looked like an overgrown patch of land. And so he didn't think, he didn't think that this was the right way for a cemetery to be. And so what he, what he started doing is he, he worked with a number of local residents and, and also a group called the Psychiatric Survivor Archives of Toronto. And uh, and he, he likes to make sure that, you know, he doesn't take all the credit for this because he says a lot of people helped out, but he kind of got the ball rolling, I think, would be a fair thing to say. And uh, so he started organizing cemetery cleanups uh, each spring and fall. He would send out, uh, you know, a little notice to people who were interested, and he'd say, listen, we're, we're going to go up to the cemetery, we're going to pick up any garbage that's been, you know, blown in there, uh, you know, cut away some of the overgrowth, and let's just make sure it looks good, that it doesn't look just like this overgrown patch of land. And uh, so as he was doing this, him and his group, they started pressing the province, you know, discussions with the province to try to do a little more, to install some kind of a memorial. And so I think it was really, it was absolutely the work of Ed and his group that led to that happening.
3: Megan, Ed and his group are all volunteers, are they?
4: Yes, absolutely. Uh, they certainly, they, this is for them, it's a labor of love. I mean, they weren't getting anything out of it. Uh, certainly some of the group members did have relatives who were there, and and that spurred their their interest in it. But yeah, all, all volunteer basis.
3: Right. Now, let's talk about the people who are interested in the hospital's patients who are buried in the cemetery. And please, can you tell us some of their stories?
4: Yeah, of course. Yeah. The people who are interested in it now, certainly. Um, Well, I'll pick out a couple that I thought were quite interesting, and and I worked these people into my story as well. Um, Now, one is a woman. Her name is Marg Tumilty, and she has... Uh, I guess it would be her great-aunt is is actually buried in the cemetery. And so, Mark became interested in genealogy uh, some time ago, and eventually she learned about this woman, Grace Jeffrey, um, her great-aunt. And she hadn't known about her before. This was just sort of a a person that the family had forgotten somewhere along the way. And here's the story of, of Grace Jeffrey. Basically, she was put in the asylum... Uh, at 19 years old. And she actually stayed at a number of different asylums throughout her life, but where she died was the Etobicoke uh, Psychiatric Hospital. Now, her story is actually a very sad story. Um, So she went into the asylum system at 19, and basically she spent the rest of her life in asylums. She died just shy of 80 years old. Uh, Her family she, she had outlived most of her family, and uh, it, it doesn't appear that she was, had a lot of contact with them while she was there. She kind of just went there, and that was, you know, I, I, I don't know if she, you could say she was forgotten, but in a way she was forgotten because there was not a lot of contact between her and her family. And there's this one kind of a haunting document that, uh, that Marg, her, her grandniece, found was a letter that Grace wrote when she, was, uh, when she was just 19, right when she went in. And she wrote a note to her mother telling her mother that she wanted to come home. And she said that the doctor said she could come home and that she's ready to leave the asylum. And for some reason that note was never mailed. And so, so when Marg began her quest, she found this note in some old documents uh, of Grace Jeffries. And it's just it's, it's a very haunting document to read. It's, it's actually quite a lengthy note. But it begins with those sentences that I would like to come home on Monday, Mother. And, and you just look at it and you think, wow, that, you know, she wrote those words and she never went home. And so that was one of the stories that I found very, very haunting about the, about the, the cemetery is just the idea that somebody could be kind of forgotten there. Um, there's another woman who I spoke with as well. And uh, her name is Provon, And she had uh, Susan McCourt French with her grandmother. And she spent about a decade in the asylum. She died, uh, she died in 1911, and she had been diagnosed with something called purple insanity, which is actually now known as postpartum depression. Um, and it's just some of the details that Pearl Vaughn has dug up about, about her grandmother, that she was, she was put in a rubber room, she uh, screamed for hours. She was, apparently she was just... All the sorts of treatments that you hear about um, back, back in those old asylum days, her grandmother had to endure a lot of that. Uh, but for but for Pearl, it was so important that she found this woman because for her it's it, w- it was about being at peace. She wanted to she wanted to you know she never knew her grandmother, but she just wanted to find her, and that's that's what she was able to do through the cemetery.
3: The future of the cemetery and how it's going to be cared for, and before I actually ask you that question, just let me please feed a comment back to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, The future of the cemetery is the remembrance of Grace and the people like her who were, lived and died in the hospital for however long, and now they are being remembered.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: That's the future, isn't it?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's about... about making sure that these people aren't forgotten like they were for so many years, you know, in, in an overgrown yard. Now they're in, they're properly memorialized and they're in a place that people actually care about and people are paying attention to it now. And, you know, as I said, you know, the, the example I like to use is when you drive by, it actually looks like a cemetery now. It doesn't it doesn't just look like this field in Etobicoke by, you know, by some old warehouses. You look at it and you, you instantly have that feeling of this is somewhere that you want to be respectful because this, this is somewhere where people's relatives are and it's, it's a cemetery and you can recognize that now and I think I think that was so important for these people to just make sure that their relatives were somewhere that they'd be remembered and somewhere that they'd be respected and I think that they finally achieved that.
3: The future, is it going to be always volunteers or are, are there going to be um, help types of help Money or otherwise from the authorities, whether it's the government or whether it's the healthcare system or what it is. Yeah. Um, how about the practicalities of that?
4: Yeah, well, I think it's actually now that it's come, there's more attention being paid to this place, it's actually going to be a mixture of the two. Um, uh, just recently, in fact, I heard from Ed Janizuski's group, and uh, later this month they're actually planning another little visit. So they're still planning to continue. Their spring and fall visits, you know, just make sure there's no bits of garbage and anything else, and they can put more of their flowers out. So they're continuing those. But in addition to that, the province is putting more into this as well. So they've, they've put up the memorial, and that was kind of a big step for the province to make. But what they're also going to be doing uh, probably sometime in, in the coming months, if they haven't started already, is that they're going to be doing a land survey, And what that's going to do is they'll be able to determine the location of each of the coffins in each of these unmarked graves, because, of course, most of them are not marked. And so even though they have a basic map showing where these are, they're going to do a land survey, figure out the precise location, and then they're going to put in place a process to get more headstones in place. So eventually, when this is all over, none of these people will be forgotten. They'll all be marked, marked graves, and they'll each have a headstone, and you won't have to use a map to find their graves anymore. You can actually walk through it like a regular cemetery. There'll probably be flowers because Ed's group is going to keep going there by each of the graves. So it'll be a very different place.
3: Would it be fair to say that then this attention that an understanding that the cemetery now has might not have ever happened were it not for Ed and the people who align themselves with Ed? Would that be a fair question?
4: I think that's absolutely a fair point and I think most certainly I think there's a good chance that this place could have been completely overlooked and forgotten. I don't I mean the land obviously belonged to the province and so had it ever come up for sale, they probably would have realized, oh wait, you know, maybe we need to do something here. But I think that if it hadn't been for Ed, I think, you know, very well the cemetery might be in that same state now. It might be overgrown, trees fallen. You know, the the, uh, just completely unrecognizable. I think, and uh, because what's interesting is I spoke with Infrastructure Ontario, which is, you know, has this in their purview. And what they explained, they didn't really understand how this place got forgotten for so long, but they just pointed out that they have so many properties, you know, tens of thousands of acres that the province oversees throughout Ontario, and they just this one just got overlooked, I guess, in all these tens of thousands of properties. And so, I mean, if if that happened for that as long as it did, then I think there's a good chance, if it hadn't been for Ed, you know, stumbling across this by chance and simply deciding, I want to see something happen here, then most certainly I think it could still be forgotten.
3: In other words, this was caring that prompted a memory that has led to something which is a very important form of caring, isn't it?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Because without, without Ed, I mean, there's a lot of people who probably wouldn't even know where their relatives are. They may not even know that. And I think there's people, you know, not just in Ontario, but throughout who may have relatives that, you know, got lost somewhere along the way. They're not sure where they are. And you can find those sorts of details out a lot early, a lot more easily these days by going online and looking them up. And now that, uh, that this, Cemetery is actually being cared for, that there's actually people caring for it. Um, these people who are, might be looking for a relative, they have a resource, they have a reference point, somewhere they can go and say, you know, was my relative? I know I had a relative in, in the asylum. Were they buried here? And even if they're not, at least they know that's somewhere we can check off the list and we can move on in our quest to try to find this person.
3: Right. Now, unfortunately, again, it's the time for the break. So we'll take it now. This is Dr. Gordon-Nathalie, and my guest is Megan O'Toole. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back.
1: Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com.
0: Time here on VoiceAmerica.com
2: Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
3: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Megan O'Toole. Our topic is a psychiatric hospital cemetery, graves and memories. Let's talk now from a media perspective. Megan's a professional journalist of uh, wide-standing and experience. Let's talk from that perspective about the history of the psychiatric hospital cemetery and of care for persons with mental illnesses and developmental disorders, which often uh, are associated with mental illnesses. So, Megan, before you began writing this story, What did you know and not know about the history of the particular psychiatric hospital and the care it provided?
4: Well, that's that's an interesting question because actually, I knew very very little about it. Um, And I I've you know born and raised in Toronto. I certainly uh, this is an area that I had been before. But about all I knew about the Lakeshore Psychiatric Hospital was that the buildings where this hospital used to be located were later converted into a Humber College campus. And, and I knew that there were these beautiful buildings and that at one point it was a psychiatric hospital. And that's about all I knew. I didn't even know about the cemetery. Um, I pretty much had heard nothing about this until this, this woman, who I mentioned earlier, was a source for other stories in Mississauga. And she contacted me and she told me about this story. And, you know, it was fascinating to me because I just really knew pretty much nothing about this place.
3: Now, still on the same theme, you as the professional journalist, um, how aware do you think the media generally are about the history of care of persons with mental illnesses and developmental disorders? And as part of that question, what are the topics you think media should pay more attention to and why?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. I think it depends on what you cover as a journalist, because... Certainly, we do have some journalists who, who, that's their beat, and they do cover these types of issues regularly, um, so they, you know, certain journalists, they're tasked with following stories about mental illness and care for the mentally ill and developmental disorders and the type of progress that's being made uh, in these fields, but of course, a lot of journalists don't cover those issues, um, you know, we all have our own beats. And so that's it's something that I think there is a niche where, where these where there are journalists who look into this exclusively, and then sometimes these stories cross over into the mainstream. So when there's a more general interest story about mental illness or developmental disorders or um, then that might cross over into the A section of the newspaper from time to time. and um, but I think people that are, are more interested in learning about these topics tend to go toward perhaps more of the trade publications, which focus more specifically on these issues. But when you're talking about media in general, I think it's a good question. You know, how, how aware are the media about, you know, the care of people with mental illness? And I think, I think it's fair to say that the media is becoming more aware of these issues. I think in recent years, <clears throat> certainly these issues... Have been coming more into the spotlight um, some of the stigma you mentioned earlier the stigma around mental illness and I think that's been you know it, over the years that stigma is eroding you know it's, it's people are understanding more and more that mental illness affects a lot of people and society and so and you know I'm sure that a lot of us know someone or have someone in the family who's suffering from either a mental illness or developmental disorder and I think that's when you when you have that general societal interest um when that becomes more mainstream then you see the media focus on it more because no longer is it something that people feel they have to shy away from um no longer is it something you know like when grace jeffrey was in the hospital her family forgot her i mean it was a shameful thing back then and now it's not and i think when you see that societal shift you also see more attention paid in the media i would say
3: the still about you, in this sense of the question I want to ask you now, is you wrote this article. Up, I read it, and that's why I got in touch with you. Where was it in the newspaper? Was it, uh, I'm not being unkind when I say this, hidden on the back page, or was it somewhere very prominent? Yeah, somewhere it,
4: it, yeah, it um, actually, it was prominent. They, um, they gave it a nice spread. I believe, if I recall correctly, they put this, this was in the A section, so it was in the main news section of the paper. Um, it came under the Toronto banner of news. And uh, from what I can recall, this was a center spread. So they had some lovely art of the cemetery. And uh, I believe um, Ed might have been in one of the pictures as well as some of the relatives And they gave it quite a nice treatment. It was, it was actually quite prominent and they did give it a lot of attention because I think with this story, it really, it really struck a chord with a lot of people. Um, people that may not know anything about mental illness read a story like this and, and just, you know, the haunting nature of what some of these people had to say about their relatives. I think that's the kind of story where, where it does cross over these boundaries where I think it becomes a general interest story. And, and people want to read about that. People want to know more, like, who were these people and why, why was this place abandoned? And, you know, it, it's, it's something that I think a lot of us can relate to in some way.
3: Right. Now, I want to know more from you, please, about ways in which media interest in the history of care of persons with mental illnesses and developmental disorders could be improved, in such a way that uh, we understand more about the history and about the way in which we're making progress in caring for these conditions. I mean, you mentioned that you you think that stigmatization is declining, and I, I th- from what I hear, I I think other people would agree with you on that. But I think also other people would say um, it's not it's declining, but it's not actually. Disappeared altogether. Mm -hmm. So then that brings me back to this question, and I'm being a little bit long winded about it, but (laughs) is what about ways in which media interest in the history of care could be boosted, given that for mental illnesses to this day, most of them don't have a medical cure, but they do need care and understanding?
4: Megan? Right, right. Well, I think, you know, the more media interest that there is in in this type of caring and in the history of the caring, I think that certainly almost inevitably has to help improve care because it puts more attention onto it. And I think that somebody reading a story like this who perhaps has a relative in a similar situation, perhaps a relative who's right now in a psychiatric hospital or right now under psychiatric care, if they read something like this, I think they'd want to know a little bit more about how is my own relative being cared for? What are they receiving in the hospital? Are they getting the best care that they can? And they might, and certainly, you know, I'm sure that people aren't concerned about the same treatments they were using back in, you know, the early 1900s. I don't think that's something that would be a fear. But I think it would spur questions about is there anything more that I could do for my relative while they're still alive, is there anything that I can perhaps talk to the doctors about, uh, could they be getting better care, and how can I find out more about that? And perhaps it might spur people to do some more research as well, uh, perhaps about the specific mental illness that their own relative has, and to look into what is the best type of caring for that. Um, I think that's how, you know, more attention in the media on these stories can certainly help spur some of those questions.
3: That, I think, if I may say so, is profoundly important because it's encouraging. This what I uh, I would put back to you as a sort of sub-question. It's encouraging family and family caregivers to ask questions and perhaps to speak out if things aren't going in a way that reasonably they should be. Um, That's the first thing. And I think, secondly, it will give family caregivers who struggle there's no question that you know these mental illnesses can be huge burdens on families and family caregivers who do their very best to care nevertheless they sometimes feel guilty they certainly feel exhausted um, and they sometimes feel and I'm afraid rightly underappreciated so all of this comes back to the point that the media in paying attention to all of these things we've been talking, you've been talking about, um, would actually provide a boost to family caregiving at a time that, um, family caregivers are starting to be recognized as an important part of the healthcare system. And in fact, I'd go so far as to say an important subsidy to the healthcare system because mm-hmm. what they do is to help people stay, patients stay out of hospitals. And that saves the healthcare system a lot of money. Now that was me, uh, as it were, um, holding forth at you. But do you see family caregiving as something that um, the media could support more uh, along Mm -hmm. the lines I've been talking about?
4: Yeah, I I agree with uh, all the points that you just made, actually. And family caregiving is incredibly important. And uh, I think that, um, you know, I think that the media certainly could play a greater role in that. I think that there are certainly there could still be more attention paid to these issues. I think that we've discussed the stigma and we've discussed how it is, it is getting less, but as you pointed out, there is still a stigma. And there's certainly, as a society, there's always more that we can do, I think. And fostering and promoting the idea of family caregiving, I think that's very important, um, not just for journalists, but in general, because, you know, it's, until a family is in a situation dealing with one of these individuals, it's very hard to know how you would react and I think for a lot of people when they get into this situation it's difficult to know what to do and the more resources that are available and the more that these issues are in the spotlight I think that's very important for family caregivers
3: Yep Uh, All I can say is thank you that's a profoundly important insight and thank you for sharing it with us
4: Mm -hmm. now once again
3: it's time for the break this is Dr. Gordon Avelin my guest is Megan O'Toole you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel we are coming back
5: Now, you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, Blackberry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, Blackberry App World, or Android Market. Are you struggling to find hope in the middle of adversity? How confident are you in dealing with your life challenges? Do you realize you have the ability to overcome your obstacles? You'll want to tune in to Louise Cohen's Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities. Louise will speak to inspiring guests who have helped others or managed to overcome the roadblocks that stood in the way of their life success. Louise Cohen's Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities broadcasts live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time here on voiceamerica.com.
5: When you look at something that's been designed, whether it's clothing, architecture, or a work of art, Do you stop and wonder about the inspiration and thought process that went into the design? Tune in to Dishing the Dirt on Design with hosts Ann Asher and Eleanor Schrader-Shapa. We'll take the mystery out of the creation process, along with revealing the backstory from art to fashion to travel and so much more. Listen to Dishing the Dirt on Design every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com.
2: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc.com. at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
3: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Megan O'Toole. Our topic is a psychiatric hospital cemetery, graves and memories. So let's now talk about why the memories evoked by the psychiatric hospital cemetery are important. So, Megan, this is a very broad question. But why do these memories matter, and to whom do they and should they matter?
4: hmm hmm Well, I mean, obviously, to the families of these patients, they matter very deeply, because for them, it's, it's not just about having a memorial plaque in place or having a new fence up or cleaning up a cemetery. For them, it's about the legacy of their relative, and it's about remembering the spirit of this person and finding a way to do that. For some of them it's about finding this person who was this person you know what happened to them in their life and I, I think of course when you ask you know who do the memories matter to I think the families are the first and foremost people but beyond just the families I think that these memories matter to all of us I think they matter to broader society for all families today who are you know who may be grappling with mental illness in the family or who may be dealing with a long-term care situation um, I think Legacy of this type of place, of the psychiatric hospital cemetery, it makes us understand more why we want to remember, why we want to understand, and care for people in these situations. Um, I think that when you when you look at a story like that of Grace Jeffrey or of Susan McCourt French, um, people who didn't have a great life, they had a very difficult life as a result of being, you know, afflicted with some kind of mental illness, and Even though, at the time, caring was dramatically worse than it is today, I think that these memories are important to society to know that this happened to somebody and that we need to make sure that we take care of our citizens better than they did in those days. Yep. To you, what did
3: you as a journalist learn from the memories?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I found, you know, some of these memories, listening to some of these stories, I actually, I feel like I could have spent another month (laughs) on this story and just speaking with, you know, more of the people who are here, finding out more of their stories, what happened to these people, because it's just, it's very haunting, some of these stories. Um, It's, you know, the sort of thing, it's almost nightmarish when you hear about what happened to some of these people. It's, It's shocking. You know, even, I think all of us at some point, we've heard, you know, sort of general tales about psychiatric care back years and, you know, decades ago and how, how horrible it was. But when you actually, when you, when you hear somebody's personal story about, this was my relative, this was somebody who I didn't know, but I found out about this person later. This is a part of my family, and here's what happened to this woman or this man. And it just becomes so much more personal, and it becomes, I think, so much, more, so much easier for us to understand Um, you know, on on, on that personal level, when you hear somebody's personal memory um, it's no longer, it's not just a story about psychiatric hospitals it's a a human story and I think that's what I found so fascinating about it was listening to these people, and like I said, I would have loved to spend so much more time talking to more people who had had their relatives buried here and to find out more of those stories, because I think it's fascinating, it's very valuable
3: Yeah Let's ask the question now, what do you think family caregivers can learn from the memories when they're caring for family members with the types of mental illnesses and developmental disorders the persons buried in the cemetery lived and died with?
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, I mean, first and foremost, you know, to remember that these are real people. and I know that might sound strange, but um, sometimes when, when others look at somebody with mental illness or a developmental disorder, it's it's harder to relate to them because you may not understand uh, what they're going through and it might be frustrating at times to deal with them. Uh, You may not understand what they're trying to communicate. um, But when you, when you read back through some of these stories and when you see how some of these people were treated, um, you just, the humanity, I think it comes out. It just, it comes right out at you and you realize these were human beings and they were treated this way. Um, It's very, I think, disquieting to people. And I think that someone today, uh, you know, dealing with a person in a situation like that, I think they can learn a lot from that because they can understand the humanity a little more and the need to, I guess, reflect that humanity in their own relatives who might be going through something or even not a relative, just someone who's in that situation.
3: Megan, the point that I take particularly from what you've been saying is, is this, that understanding the past what people families uh, experienced mm-hmm. um, is important in this particular way in that mental illnesses are still happening um, illnesses like schizophrenia which is one of the ones that would have been involved with the psychiatric hospital mm-hmm. um, still afflicts affects, occurs with one percent of people it always has done and it continues to do. So it's not that while medical science is great and research is doing very well, fact is that these conditions go on occurring. They're not prevented. Therefore, family caregivers are going to continue to experience these things in their families. Mm-hmm. And therefore, all the strength that they can get from reading what you wrote and the stories and listening and and, and understanding what people went through, um, tell them, Megan, that they're not alone.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's very important for people in that situation is, is to know, you know, there are other people who have gone through this and certainly probably understand the difficulties and the frustrations that they may face at times, but also on the flip side, the importance of caring. And I think, you know, people want to know that others have gone through the situation, to feel that they're not, like you said, that they're not alone, that they're not facing this alone, and that there are resources out there and people they can talk to and maybe share stories and share ideas of how. what are the best ways to care. Um, I think that's, that can only help.
3: Megan, I'm now going to put you on the spot in a different way, and that is as follows. You wrote a, an, a superb story uh, I'm going to say that to you straight out. It got into the prestigious place in the newspaper and it attracted attention. Megan, I would like to hope that your interest in this topic broadly will continue and that you'll go on using your skills. Um, in various ways to keep attention focused on this matter this question these histories and those kinds of things because they are so important and continue to be important to many people Mm -hmm. now I don't think I'm going to ask you to give a firm promise on the radio but (laughs) nevertheless please please do because uh, what you do and what you've done is profoundly important
4: Oh well, I appreciate those comments very much, and and certainly, I mean, I found this an absolutely fascinating story to cover, and it's certainly issues like this I would love to cover in the future. And it may not fall right into my beat, but as I pointed out, you know, when these stories come along, it's very difficult to ignore. And I very much enjoyed covering this, and thanks very much for your comments.
3: Okay, now I'm going to just close down with a couple of couple of quick comments. Uh, First of all, thank you, Megan, for. Sharing with us in such an open way, your own experience, that is to say, the way in which your attitude changed, your understanding a change changed, and your sense of what should happen you know within media they're almost a responsibility to keep uh, abreast of developing things because they're important in the sense that mental health mental illness continue to be challenges in our society. So mm-hmm. thank you very much for that. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, all of us listening to you wish you continued success in your journalism and the hope, as I said, that you will keep this particular story uh, on, your, on your screen or on your
4: desk. Mm-hmm. Thank
3: you. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners and to say that at Family Caregivers Unite, we welcome hearing from listeners. And if you have any comments about Megan's um, um, discussion, please do send them on to us. And we also want to hear from people who would like to be our guests or who have suggestions for uh, topics. And in our our next episode, we'll talk about clinical trials, what family caregivers should ask. So please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then.